Welcome to Northern Exposure, the podcast that we hope will help Canadian medical students explore their potential future careers as Canadian physicians. We're your hosts. I'm Ann Keller. And I'm Hannah Levy. Our guest today is Dr. Kristen Wadsworth. Dr. Wadsworth is a community obstetrician gynecologist practicing in Cambridge, Ontario. Her practice includes general obstetrics and gynecology, as well as urogynecology. She grew up in Markham, Ontario, did her undergraduate degree at McMaster University, and went to medical school at the University of Toronto. Dr. Wadsworth did her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Queen's University, followed by a fellowship in urogynecology and reconstructive pelvic surgery at Mount Sinai at the University of Toronto. She has two sons and a very helpful husband and loves spending time exploring the outdoors with her family. So welcome, Dr. Wadsworth. Thank you so much for having me. So just a quick roadmap for our conversation today. We've split our interview into three parts. The first is a bit about you and your specialty. The second is the story of how you landed where you are. And then finally, we want to dig into the nitty gritty details of what you do. Sounds great. So one of the reasons we wanted to start this podcast is to really get a sense of what life is like beyond just the description on the CARMS website. So to that end, can you give us an elevator pitch or in other words, a brief sales pitch for your job? So what I would say about my job is that it is highly variable, that no two days are ever alike. And it's a good mix of surgery and medicine, which makes things very interesting. And it's obviously female medicine focused. I only see male babies and it can sort of change throughout an OB's career. So I think that's one of the other things uh, that's really nice about our jobs is that you can kind of ebb and flow depending on what the rest of your life is like. So I deliver babies. I take care of all kinds of gynecologic issues and have kind of a good mix of seeing people for short periods of time and then also longer periods of time and developing a relationship with them. And how do you think your personality complements your job? So I am a person who is not very good at sitting still. Everyone would say that I like I can't sit through a whole movie um, because I always <laughs> want to be up and doing something. So I think the fact that I am a you know sort of on the go kind of person helps me with my job. I also am a pretty organized person, and I think especially in when you're on call in obstetrics, you know you often have a few different people in labor, you might be looking after a person in the emergency department who's having a miscarriage. So you kind of have a few things on the go and you have to kind of be able to prioritize and keep track of what's coming up next. And then I think the other thing is that I I really like people. I'm a very personable person. I like the relationships with people. That's part of the reason I went into this specialty. And I think that's very important because whether you're dealing with a pregnant mom or someone in labor or someone who's having, you know, an embarrassing gynecologic issue or something that's really affecting their life, you know, you really have to kind of form that connection quite quickly because we're dealing with very intimate moments in women's lives. And you often only have a few minutes to, you know, spark that connection and make them feel comfortable with you. And I think I'm a pretty friendly, personable kind of person. I like talking to people. I like spending time with people, which is challenging during a pandemic. (laughs) I'm usually a very social person. So at least I get to do that part at work. So that part's nice. Thanks for sharing that. One of the things that we like to do on the podcast is take a look at the literature and bring to our guests' attention a stereotype about their own specialty and get you to tell us a little bit about it and your thoughts on it. So a study of UK medical students published in 2014 outlined perceptions of obstetrics and gynecology. 
While these included descriptors like rewarding and interesting, there were also concerns about a lack of work-life balance, risk of litigation, and difficulty for men to be accepted by patients and the field. Recognizing that this was a UK study, do you think that these concerns generalize to OBGYN practice in Canada today? I think they definitely play into the things that we kind of deal with on our day-to-day jobs and lives. So I would say that would probably be fairly accurate in terms of what Canadian obstetricians would face. I think in terms of work-life balance, like a lot of specialties in medicine, it's always a, you know, a challenge and you're trying to find that harmony between things and some weeks is better than others. I think obstetrics has come a long way from the, you know, only having a few OBs in most centers, being on call 24-7 for their own patients. And I know one of the things in the UK is that still is sort of part of their private system. The nice thing with our system here in Canada is that there's very few places where that is the situation. And most people have fairly good call groups and supportive colleagues. But it still is a bit of a grind. And especially my husband would say, you know, weekends when you're on call and he's having to look after two small children, the work-life balance part is challenging. And I think it's one of those things that you don't realize as a medical student or a resident how much you have to protect your own time. So for example, one of the things that I do is I I never will work post-call or almost never. I would never plan an office. So even if I've had some sleep and might be feeling okay during the day, I at least have that day to spend time for myself or my family or, you know, doing other things. And then the same thing with, you know, planning office time. I don't work every day from 7am to 6pm. You have to kind of carp out that time yourself. One of the things too that I've started doing because I found that I was just working a lot is blocking off a week of vacation every two months. And I don't necessarily take the whole week off. And obviously now I'm not going anywhere, but I at least have that time that if I need to go to the dentist or take my kids to the dentist um, or just spend a day, you know, organizing my basement, I have those days off. But I think that's a struggle in all areas of medicine. I don't think obstetrics and gynecology is the same. You know, most people who go into medicine, we love our jobs. We want to do a good job for our patients. We always feel like there's something we could do more. And so you have to kind of step back and think, I hopefully have a long career ahead of me. I've just started. So what's going to keep me from burning out and not being able to do that? In terms of litigation, I mean, it's true. We pay the most for our CMPA fees. OB is a specialty where bad things don't often happen, but when they do, they're they're very bad. And that's one of the really challenging things in our specialty. Again, one of the nice things in Canada is that we are, you know, well protected and well supported in terms of if you do get a complaint or a lawsuit brought against you, you do have the support of the CMPA. You're not going to lose your house, even if a ruling is against you. And there are also lots of ways to help prevent lawsuits from happening. I mean, bad things happen in every specialty, but there are, you know, lots of ways and lots of courses and things that I have been a part of to learn how to manage your practice and and try to reduce that from happening. But I don't think that that should be a reason for somebody not to do it. I think the underlying part of it's a stressful job, it's often high stakes situations where you're dealing with moms and babies. I think that is the part that for some people is not for them, Um, not necessarily the fact that someone might sue you because of a bad outcome. And then I think males in obstetrics and gynecology is a very challenging situation. One of my colleagues and I started around the same time in Cambridge. He is the most wonderful person and obstetrician, and I get 10 times the number of referrals that he does. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of women want to see female obstetricians. So I think that 
uh, that is definitely a challenge. And I think it's a challenge for learners as well, because often, you know, they may accept a male um, attending physician, but they may not want a male uh, clerk or even male resident sometimes. So one of the things that we do at our centre is we, you know, we say that we have a certain, you know, three of the seven OBs in our group are male, we don't know who's going to be on call when you have your delivery, it may be a man, that's just the fact of the matter. And we, you know, we're, we're trying to accommodate and encourage that part of things. But it is definitely a challenge within the specialty. But I think it's important to keep a balance between men and women. Because I, I think that you don't have to be a woman to be an excellent gynecologist. I think the characteristics that you have don't have anything to do with your with your gender. Thanks so much for a comprehensive answer to our <laughs> question. I really appreciate it. Do you think there are other stereotypes about OBGYN, either the specialty or the people? And if so, what are your thoughts on those? I think one of the ones that we often get is that we're not real surgeons or that we're not very good at surgery. I would say is obviously not true, but we tend to be a bit undervalued in terms of surgery obstetrics and gynecology surgeries are not as well paid as sort of equivalent in difficulty or time as some general surgery procedures. And it definitely is something that, you know, we're kind of working every day within the operating room to make sure we're getting our fair share of OR time and uh, really showing people that we're making a really big difference for women. Uh, We're very lucky in our center, we have a very supportive OR. And, you know, when there are cuts to our time when things shut down during COVID. And then when things came back, our service was very well supported to come back and and valued. But I know that that's not the case in all centers, that sometimes gynecology kind of gets a bit of the short end of the stick. So that's something that I don't think is true at all. And if you start looking at a lot of the organizations within obstetrics and gynecology, um, like the American Academy of Gynecologic Laparoscopists and things like that, like there's a lot of really great surgery being done by gynecologists um, and really helping women. So I don't think that that is necessarily true, but but I think some some surgeons sort of look down on us as uh, not as good a surgical specialty. That's really interesting because there are certain things, especially in medical school, when you're not in hospitals, <laughs> that you just really don't get a sense of in terms of like, the politics or the that hidden curriculum piece. So thanks for shedding light on that one. I'm going to move us along to the second part of our interview where we ask you to tell us the story of how you got to where you are at this point in your career. So a bit about your education, if there were any other paths that you were considering and how you made the decisions that you made. So I didn't really know that I wanted to be a physician when I was younger. When I was in high school, I was always a nerdy kind of science person. Um, And I remember going to the Ontario University Fair, which I don't even know if they do anymore, and seeing uh, about the health health sciences program at McMaster, which was fairly new when I went to undergrad. And it just seemed like a really cool program. Max seemed like a good place. So decided to go there. And then kind of through the program, we had exposure to different areas of the health sciences and medical specialties and medicine and being a physician was sort of one that appealed to me. I don't have anybody in my family who's a a doctor. Most of my family's teachers actually, but it seems something that balanced my interest in human relationships and then also having a challenging career, something where you're always kind of learning and figuring things out, having to kind of put together a puzzle. So I applied to medical school and got into U of T and then during my time there, really started out wanting to do family medicine. I had a really great family physician when I was uh, younger, and she just seemed to have, you know, such a, a great relationship with her patients and seeing babies and doing all kinds of things. So I did a lot of family medicine observerships and 
then did a rural week and spent some time with a family doctor who also did deliveries and saw my first delivery and then said, well, I definitely want to deliver babies. Like this is the coolest thing ever. I don't think this will ever get old. Um, so I always kind of planned to do that. And then when I was in clerkship and did my core ob rotation in Toronto, really the gynecologic surgery was what really drew me to the specialty. Uh, and I can remember talking to one of the residents about, you know, my struggles to think, you know, did I want to do family medicine and obstetrics or obstetrics and gynecology? And what she said was, you know, you have to think that OBGYN is is a surgical specialty, like, you know, that's really at the core of what we're, a lot of what we're doing. So if you're interested in, you know, being a surgeon and doing surgery, then that's what you should do. If you want to deliver babies and do that kind of comprehensive care from that perspective, then you should go towards the family medicine part of things. So that was what really made me think that I, you know, I liked the surgery part. I liked the having something to, you know, kind of a task to complete and then do it. And you've hopefully made someone's life a little bit better and kind of solved their problem. And I'm, like I said before, I'm a, you know, kind of a, a doing, not sitting around talking kind of person. So that's the the kind of nice thing about um, OB is you can have a problem. You know, someone has heavy periods, you do a hysterectomy, take out their uterus, like they don't have heavy periods anymore. You solve their problem. So that part is, is nice. And then, you know, trying to find a residency program is a very stressful time. I still really remember it and talking to students now as they're going through CARMS is, uh, you know, kind of brings back all of those memories that it's, you know, it's a, it's a really challenging time. Uh, so I applied to a bunch of programs, I went on all of my interviews. And then um, really, when I uh, went to my interview at Queens, I felt like it was just a program where I could really fit in and have a good experience. You know, I had never been to Kingston or Queens before. I didn't do an elective there, but uh, came back from my interview and kind of said, you know, this was where I wanted to end up. And luckily they picked me. So uh, <laughs> we, we matched up and got to spend some time there. And then the the kind of urogynecology aspect of what I do in my practice and, and coming to do that as a fellowship really came from some exposures in, in residency. I really liked surgery and I really liked the surgical procedures associated with urogynecology. Again, it was kind of this, you know, someone has prolapse, someone has incontinence, you can kind of make them better and really have a huge difference on their, their life. They can go from staying at home because they, you know, they're leaking urine everywhere or they're so uncomfortable. And then, you know, six weeks after their surgery, they come in and they give you a hug and they say, you know, I can go for a walk with my children now, or I can go out with my friends. And so, you know, that part of it was really good. And the surgeries are, you know, they're always a bit different, they're challenging. So that was why I kind of did that part. And then, you know, I always wanted to do community medicine. I'm not a huge academic person. So I was looking for a job while I was a fellow in Toronto and a job came up for Cambridge. I had driven through Cambridge. I'd never been to Cambridge, uh, but I had some family <laughs> kind of within the area. And uh, they actually called me the week I was going to be induced with my second son and said, can you come this week for an interview? And I said, well, <laughs> um, I'm having a baby this week, so I can come in like two weeks. So two weeks later, I drove with my two-year-old <laughs> and my mother. This is like crazy. I, I don't, why did I do this? So I drove <laughs> to Cambridge, went to do my interview with this whole room of people. Seemed great. The department seemed really good. Then I did some call later, sort of a few months later, because I wanted to check out the group and the hospital. Uh, and then they offered me a job and I ended up here. So it was, uh, ended up being a good fit so far. 
My husband and I wanted to live in a community that was kind of its own place, not just like an extension of the GTA. But I also wanted a hospital where I would be able to do the urogyne procedures that I wanted to do, and then also do obstetrics. There's a lot of urogynes that don't do a lot of obstetrics or they don't do any, uh, but I really like that part of the specialty. So I wanted to continue to do that part of things. It always sounds so straightforward and well thought out <laughs> when, we, when, we hear the, when we hear the stories. And I, I'm sure that in the, all the moments, it felt a lot more intense. I do want to take you back when you're a med student. So catching babies was a hit. And then you realized that the surgical aspect was a really good fit. Did you consider other specialties? I'm wondering whether or not once you realized that the surgical piece was really interesting to you, if you considered some of the other surgical specialties, or was it sort of a family to ob and straightforward kind of path? Yeah, it was really only really family medicine or obstetrics and gynecology. There wasn't, when I did things like general surgery or orthopedic surgery, I liked the surgery parts of it, but kind of the other parts of the specialty didn't appeal to me as much. And I remember uh, one of the physicians I worked with said, you know, what are you going to not be annoyed when you get woken up at three in the morning to do? Well, I definitely didn't want to do medicine. I didn't want to come, you know, see someone with chest pain at three in the morning. <laughs> I didn't want to see someone who might have an abby and they were just in pain in the emergency department. But getting up to deliver a baby, that always appealed to me. So yeah, there wasn't really any other surgical specialties or anything that I was uh, thinking about doing. And is there anything else that you wish you had known before making your decision or any advice you have for students who are currently making the decision of which specialty to choose? I think in terms of advice, I would say trying to talk to, you know, as many people as possible who work in different places and try to get an idea of the practice. Because really, there's there's so much variation in what we do from center to center and day to day, and the paths that we got there. So I think trying to, you know, learn as much as you can, you know, obviously in person is is nicer, but we can't always do that. Uh, but even talking to people and uh, just trying to get some information. And then I think the other thing too to realize is that you can change your mind. We all feel this big pressure coming into residency that you have to pick the exact program and the exact place that you want. And if you don't get exactly what you want or you make a bad decision, your medical career is over and your life is over. There are lots of people who you know end up switching programs, they end up switching cities, they go back and do something you know, sometimes it's challenging to do those things. It's not always straightforward. But if you're really unhappy with doing what you're doing, you know, you can change your plan. And there's lots of, you know, supports and things to do that. So I think take a bit of that burden off yourself that you are definitely deciding the next 40 years of your life, like, you can change your mind. And even the same thing with finding a place to work, I felt a lot of stress in deciding, like, do I want to live and work in Cambridge forever? And uh, it was my mom who said, she said, well, you may not, but try it and see. If you decide that it's not for you, you have to give it a good try. And if it's not for you, you can change your plan. So I think that's the thing to think about in medicine. And especially if you start talking to people, there's a lot of people who started out in family medicine and then decided, you know what, I really should have gone into obstetrics or vice versa. Or, you know, they started general surgery and then they decided this is really not for me. And in most cases, you can kind of make some changes and find something that you really are interested in doing. I think the other thing too is that like no job is perfect. Every job is challenging. It's the reason that they pay us to do our jobs. <laughs> so you're always going to have things that you don't love. You're going to have weeks that you feel like, why are you 
doing this. And this happens as a medical student, as a resident, as a staff. It's just part of like human life. And don't quit on your worst day. Realize that things will hopefully get better or you can try to do something to make it better. And, you know, everybody's going through similar challenges as well. Wonderful advice to pass on. (laughs) I'm going to move us on to part three. So digging into the nitty gritty details about what you do. So we recognize that, especially in medicine, there most of the time is no such thing as a typical day. But if we were to follow you around for, say, a week, can you walk us through what a typical week looks like starting Monday morning, what time you arrive, and the more detail, the better? So I'll kind of do because day to day it may vary, but I sort of have, you know, certain days of things that end up being fairly similar. So for example, if I'm in the office, my office, I have patients booked from nine to four. So I will go to the office, check all of my results. I think the one thing that you don't really realize as a medical student or resident is the amount of paperwork and notes and everything else that you have um, and the real responsibility you feel for those things. So I'll do that and then see patients during the day. And I do kind of a, a mixed clinic of new OB patients. I'll have some new consults, some follow-up uh, appointments and some follow-up obstetrics patients. I like to kind of have a mix of things because I get kind of bored just doing all like OB in one day. And I definitely find it too much to do all urogyne in one day because most of my patients are older and the histories take a long time. The counseling is quite involved. So it's just too tiring to do too many of those patients during the day. So we will see patients from nine to four and, you know, there's a variety of things, postmenopausal bleeding, people who are pregnant at various stages, and then prolapse and incontinence and all of those kinds of things. You know, we often end up having to send somebody to labor and delivery because they're not feeling well or their baby's not moving or we need to get them an urgent ultrasound. You know, there's always things that kind of come up. Patients come in or call because they're having an issue with their pessary and they need to, you know, urgently be fit in that day. I often eat lunch while calling people about results uh, and things like that. It's a good day if I actually get like 20 minute break between the morning and the afternoon click. Um, so those are sort of clinic days and I usually do anywhere from like one to three of those a week, depending on the week and then an on-call day. So at our hospital, we do 24 hours of call. There are seven of us. So we do sort of one in seven days. Our call shift started 8am one day till 8am the next day. So usually get there about quarter to eight, change into my scrubs, you know, get all ready to go. We have to go through screening and everything for COVID now, of course, and then get handover from the person who was on the night before. Um, And the thing about OB is that you never know what you're walking into. You might have four or five people in labor, or you might have nobody in labor. And one of the things that we do at our hospital, which is quite nice for patients, is we kind of do a bedside handover with the OB who's leaving and the OB who's coming on, which is really nice for patients. So we go around, we kind of meet everybody and then go from there. So there'll be some inductions to bring in. There'll be people in labor. You may have a scheduled C-section to do emergency consults for things like uh, spontaneous abortions or post-operative issues. So I generally stay at the hospital when I'm on call. Um, You know, that's kind of variable depending on your center, how busy you are and those kinds of things. We do about 1400 deliveries a year. So we're sort of moderately busy. So sometimes sleep, sometimes just 
hang out all night doing various things. And then uh, we're done at eight in the morning. If there is a scheduled C-section, then the OB who was on the night before is the assistant for the person doing the C-section at 8 a.m. So this morning I, I helped one of my colleagues with a scheduled C-section she had for a patient. Uh, and then I go home and I get to sleep. So I don't plan an office or anything after being on call, which is quite nice. So that is sort of call. And call is, you know, often a day where I catch up on paperwork, finishing up notes, going through results, calling patients with results, calling other physicians about consults I need to send them, really sort of a variable, you know, renewing prescriptions, all those kinds of things that come up. And then OR days, I usually do three of those in a month. Our OR starts at 7.50, so come for around 7.20, 7.30, say hi to my patient, make sure they don't have any questions, kind of go over all the risks and everything like that. Uh, then go to the operating room, make sure they have all, the nurses have all the equipment and things that I will need for the surgery, chat with anesthesia about what their plans are and do our surgeries, which are, I do a lot of vaginal surgery just for prolapse kind of situations, but the OR is quite variable. And the OR is supposed to be done at 3.30, but if you run into complications or problems, then it can kind of end whenever. Um, and then I do some urodynamic testing, which is uh, bladder testing, uh, which is a urology, urogynecology specific thing. So that's a day from sort of 8 to 3.30 of cystoscopy and urodynamic testing. So we do that in our kind of minor procedures area at the hospital. And then after all of these things like the operating room or urodynamics or even on call, there's always dictating what you did, making sure all the orders are filled out, lots of these sort of little administrative things that, again, I think you don't fully appreciate when you are a medical student or a resident. That's definitely been the sort of biggest challenge and learning curve of, of starting my own practice. Oh, and another thing too is we often have meetings. So like our department has a meeting every other month I am taking over as the chief of my department in January. So we have a meeting once a month with all the like administrative people at the hospital. Once a month, there's a surgery department meeting. There's grand rounds once a month. Um, so those kinds of hospital-based uh, administrative things as well kind of get fit in. And in terms of your patient population that you follow, approximately what's your breakdown for OB patients versus urogyne? I would say probably like a third of my practice is OB. Uh, and then the other two thirds, um, about half of that is urogyne and the other half is general gynecology. And you mentioned before that, you know, once you caught your first baby, you're like, this is never going to get old. <laughs> but what is an aspect of your job now that makes you excited to go to work most days? Or has that not changed? catching the babies is still very exciting. What I really enjoy is kind of giving patients the feeling like they're being listened to and being heard and that some kind of concern that they've had is really being addressed. I think that a lot of times women have complaints or they've suffered with something for years. I especially find this with older patients and urogynecology issues, uh, you know, that they've had incontinence for 10, 15 years. They never talked to anyone about it. And to be able to talk to them and give them even little strategies that make a difference, those are the things that keep me coming back to work um, and make me feel good that I can you know, even make a little bit of a difference in what they're doing, or even just help them to feel heard and say this, you know, this may be all that we can do, we can't give you much more than that. But just to kind of help uh, women, especially to feel supported in, uh, in those kinds of things. 
Is there a specific clinical encounter or experience in your field that has really stuck with you as being particularly poignant? I had a patient who he'd had a lot of issues with vomiting in her pregnancy, ended up needing an IV at home and those kinds of things. And really, I, you know, she also had a lot of mental health issues. I saw her a lot in her pregnancy, got her connected with psychiatry, really sort of put a lot of effort into helping her. And then uh, she needed to be induced so we could plan it for a day that that I was working. And she had a great delivery, everything was totally fine. And then at the end, we asked what the baby's name was. And she had given the baby the middle name Kristen. And after me, and I, and I, no one had ever named a baby after me. And, and she said, thank you so much for helping me and for listening to me. So that, you know, really was something that stuck with me that all of these times when I felt like, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I working so hard? Why am I up at night for hours doing paperwork? Why am I giving up weekends and nights with my kids? You know, it's really for making these differences for people and that people do understand it. And not that you always need outward validation for the efforts that you make, but it is still kind of nice to get. So I think that's definitely one of them. And then the other one is the very first patient I operated on as a sort of attending staff who'd had prolapse. She's an older woman, like super lovely. And we did her hysterectomy and her vaginal repair and everything went really well after surgery. And when I saw her last week for her one-year follow-up, she just said, you know, I feel so much better. Thank you so much. Uh, You know, this has been really great. And I, you know, I remember going into her surgery and feeling very nervous because it was my first time as like a real doctor. But then to, you know, see her a year later and see that she was doing so well and so happy, you know, also has really really stuck with me. And I feel like she'll be a patient that I, you know, you, you always have patients who stick with you for good or bad reasons. Um, but she's definitely one that I'm always going to remember as kind of that first one. And I can actually do a good job at my job and uh, that, <laughs> that I should keep doing it. Oh, that's such a like, happy feel good. I feel like the problem with this being a podcast is that people can't see the giant grins on all of our faces. I know, <laughs> Was there a moment at some point in your career when you thought, aha, this is exactly what I am supposed to be doing? Or has it been more of a general sense of satisfaction throughout? I would say it's probably more of a like general sense of satisfaction. But there definitely have been times when I have struggled with, you know, is this what I should be doing? I remember as a resident, especially like second year obstetrics residencies tend to be pretty grueling, you're doing a lot of call, but you don't really know that much yet. Um, So, you know, it's a very challenging time. And I remember thinking, like, do I want to be doing OB? Do I want to be doing medicine in general? But then I, I think sort of the repeated encounters with patients and events, and, you know, as I gained more skills and confidence, I realized that this was something that I liked doing, and I did a pretty good job at. So I think that uh, has sort of helped. I think the other thing too is uh, especially with surgery you know as I've done more operating having days where things seem to go well and things go smoothly and even if there is a complication you know I'm able to manage it and keep calm and and keep going uh, those are times too that make me think okay I you know this is what I should be doing this is what I meant to be doing I'm not necessarily in over my head all the time so I think it's it's more of kind of things along the way and I can't really think of anything else that I would want to do I think you know I sort of spent some time in residency thinking about that you know if I wasn't going to do this what was I going to do? Because my dad would not be very happy if I quit a job without having another job. Um, so I needed to think of another plan if I wasn't going to be a, 
an obstetrician or a physician. Um, so that's what I've uh, stuck doing and, and it's been great. Obviously COVID has uh, changed things from all aspects of life, but one thing that has changed for medical students is things are a bit restricted from a clinical experience perspective. So I know myself and many of my colleagues are doing a fair bit of online reading about specialties, trying to get a feel for what might be a good fit. So what is something that about your specialty or your job that you think we might not necessarily see when we're reading about it, but is important for us to know? I think the, the one thing that's important to know, especially with the obstetrics part of things, is that you need to be able to make decisions quickly, be able to juggle a few different things, be able to prioritize. If you're you know, more of a like slow, methodical, one thing at a time type of person, uh, then I think you would really struggle within the specialty because, you know, obstetrical call is a big part of what most of us do. And even if you're not working in a very high volume center or a very high acuity center, uh, you're still are going to have times where you have to, you know, make quick decisions and rely on your past experience and past knowledge to deal with a new situation. So if you if that's something that's going to cause you a lot of, you know, it, it gives all of us some stress. We all have to, you know, kind of pause what we're doing. But if that's going to really cause you a lot of distress, then I think obstetrics is definitely not one of those things that will appeal to you. I think the other thing, too, is that really the like being up all night, not sleeping, um, you know, that part of things is a really big part of our of our specialty. Um, and especially within community hospitals, if you look at a lot of other surgical specialties after 10 o'clock at night, they're not really operating unless there's a big emergency. So that doesn't happen very often, right? You know, ortho is not often coming in in the middle of the night, uh, but we're, you know, busy and available 24 seven. So that's the other thing to kind of think about. It's not for everyone to, you know, have that disruption and lack of sleep. And then there's also a lot of, I think, this sort of responsibility of being responsible for two patients at once and in a really important time in someone's life. Again, that sort of plays into the, you know, being to, able to make decisions under pressure and, and deal with that part of it. But labor delivery is stressful. You know, every time I'm there, I'm thinking in every patient's case, what am I going to do if this happens with a fetal heart rate? What am I going to do if there's a shoulder dystocia? We're always kind of thinking, you know, even in a low risk progressing well, labor and delivery, someone can have a big postpartum hemorrhage, like anything can kind of happen. So you have to kind of get a bit comfortable with that unknown and with at any point being able to spring into action and, and deal with it in an emergency. Those are all very helpful things <laughs> to keep in mind that I think are so easy for you to pass along because you're living the life and so much harder for us to find because we're just <laughs> sitting here behind our screens. I also, I mean, I didn't realize a lot of these things until I was an actual working on my own physician too. I think even as a resident and a medical student, you feel responsibility for your patients, but I think it's sort of next level when uh, suddenly, you know, you're the person who has to make all of the decisions. And it's it's nice after all that training to get to be the person in charge. But then it also is, you know, you have a big responsibility um, and definitely more, you know, sleepless nights thinking about the decisions you've made and um, how a patient is doing. One of the things that we have been told is that a given specialty can vary heavily by practice setting. We understand that you practice in a community setting, but what was it that attracted you to community OB versus academic or rural? In terms of academic, I like I said, I'm not really a big research person. And then the other thing was selfishly, I really like 
operating and doing things. So I didn't want to work somewhere that I always had medical students and residents. Uh, so that's one of the nice things about Cambridge is that I'm associated with McMaster. So I do have students. I've not yet had a resident. I wanted to kind of spend a year getting my myself a bit organized, but I do have a resident coming for an elective with me in a few months. So I can have that still, you know, learner interaction and teaching, but the majority of the time I'm the person who gets to operate and deliver the babies. Um, so selfishly, that's I really like doing those things, so I wanted to do that. And then in terms of a more rural place, um, I wanted a bit more flexibility in terms of work-life balance. So seven people is actually a, like a really nice size in terms of call. We do enough call that it, you know, you keep up your skills and it's nice from that perspective, but I'm not working at a place where there's only three obstetricians and you're spending one in three days being on call. And even if you're not that busy, you still have to be available um, and it can be a bit more disruptive to your life. It's also sort of practically family-wise. My, I mean, pre-COVID, my husband still worked in Toronto three days a week. So we wanted to be somewhere where that was accessible. Um, I wanted to live in a place where my kids could still, you know, if we wanted to go to Toronto and go to a Blue Jays game, we could go for the night and come back, but then still have some space and place to play and good quality of life otherwise. Uh, and then being close to our families too. We, we live sort of within an hour of my parents and my in-laws. So family, I think, you know, needs to also play into what you want to do. I always really liked rural medicine. I did a lot of rural family medicine when I was a medical student. But practically speaking, you know, within my relationship uh, with my partner, who's now my husband, and then with my family, you know, it didn't really make a lot of sense to end up nine hours away from Toronto in a town of 5,000 people because my husband is in banking. So, you know, those parts of things, and it's okay to say those things. It's okay to say that, you know, I've made my decisions based on what's good for my family and for my partner um, and the other parts of my life because your job is just one part of what you do and, and one part of your life. I always appreciate when our guests speak to that aspect. I mean, on a personal level, both Hannah and I have spouses and so it's not just decisions all about us. Absolutely. And it was the same when I was applying for a residency. I mean, I didn't apply. I had some friends who applied to OB programs across the country. There were places that my husband said he didn't really want to live. And so I applied to some family medicine programs as well um, that were in places where we wanted to end up. And again, I think that is a very reasonable, practical thing to do. You know, all relationships are kind of give and take and you have to kind of find what's going to work for for you at the time. So it's, you know, you're always kind of figuring it out. That's the bulk of our interview, but before we let you go, any final words of wisdom or advice for students who are considering a career like yours? What I really love about my job is that there is so much variety and challenge and that I don't get bored. So, you know, if I'm in the office one day and then the next time I'm on call, I don't really have a chance to get tired of, you know, just seeing people in the office or doing things like that. And I'm always kind of learning and having to look new things up. So I think that part is really, you know, is a really nice thing in a lot of areas of medicine that you can have a lot of variety in your job uh, and kind of change your job throughout your career. So uh, I think looking for, for that is really a valuable thing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Northern Exposure. To suggest a guest, send us feedback, or learn more, check out our website, northernexposurepodcast.ca. We are both students at McMaster's Michael G. DeGroote School of Medicine, but this podcast is in no way affiliated with the school or program, and all views expressed are ours alone. Views expressed by guests on our show are personal opinions and should not be considered representative of any hospital, university, or other organization with which they may be affiliated. Music composed by David Rubel and performed by the David Rubel Quintet. 